John's Gospel, can I turn you back to that passage in chapter 13? And title the message tonight, Where Are You Going? Let's let's unite our heart together and we word of prayer as we come to the preaching of God's precious word this evening. Father in heaven, we thank thee again for thy presence. Thou hast said, where the two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Lord, we bless thee for the hymns of Zion we've been singing. We thank the Lord there's mercy and there's grace with God. We thank the Lord for the cross of Calvary. And Lord, we pray that thou might, Lord, be pleased to bless thy word of every heart tonight. Thou knowest those that are thine. And thou knowest, Lord, those yet who have not been to the cross by faith. Oh, they may have a head knowledge, but have no heart experience of the new birth. And I pray that thou might, Lord, lift the scales from off their eyes, unstop the deafened ears. And we pray that tonight, that thou might, Lord, uh, be pleased to speak above the voice of the preacher. And thou might, Lord, call sinners unto thyself. Bring us into this passage, Lord. Bring us into this upper room. O oh God, we pray that thou would uh, teach us and show us by thy Spirit the things of Christ. Lord, the Lord, to that end, fill us with thy Spirit and with power. Give me words that must and shall prevail. Give us those prevailing words tonight. And Lord, bless the hearts of thy children. Thank the Lord we never tire in hearing the gospel preached. Give us, Lord, help from above this night. And, O oh God, be glorified. Cause thy word to run and be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On the eve of the 1st of July, 1916, many of our countrymen in the 36th Ulster Division could not have answered the question that is my text tonight. For the next morning, all that they knew was the command to go over the top in the Battle of the Somme. Their sacrifice was immense. There were no conscripts from Northern Ireland. Everyone went on a voluntary basis, voluntarily of themselves. And for countless numbers of them, they never were to see the victory over the common enemy. They never were to reach the destination of their home again. For they laid down their lives so that we might have freedom. And we do a great disservice if we forget their sacrifice. This passage of Scripture, men and women, details for us the time when Christ would go to the cross and offer that once for all sacrifice for sin. It was a time when victory over the devil was purchased at the highest price. Even the giving of his own life's blood. Many times the Savior had already spoken to his disciples before about this. But somehow this one was different. And it was different because of what we read in verse 1. For it says now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, the hour was come. The hour for which he came into this world had now arrived. We find the Savior comforting his nearest and dearest. In the opening chapters of John's Gospel, we have the Savior revealing his person. But now we see how he reveals his passion. 
because he loved them. And he loved his own even unto the end. And that love was shown first in the humble place that the Savior took, drawing aside his garments that evening in the upper room to wash his disciples' feet, a most menial task of the servant. But there was one there whose feet, destruction and misery were in the way. Judas had already been at secretly to the priests and planned how to betray the Savior into their hands. His contract with them was an agreement with hell. And all the water in the world could not wash away the guilt and the sin that those feet bore. Yet here he's sitting. And he's sitting among the others. And he's pretending to be a loyal disciple. Until we read in verse 30 that after he received the sop, he went immediately out. And it was night. How telling are those words? He went out to do his work of darkness. Because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Judas goes out into the darkness of the physical night, but surely that's symbolic to us of him going out into the eternal darkness, having ignored all the warnings and the pleadings of the Savior for him to repent of his evil deed. It's then that the Savior addresses the remaining disciples in a different tone. After Judas is gone, there's only 11 left. For he speaks to them as little children. And dear people, that's the only time that the Lord ever calls his disciples by this name, little children. A term of endearment, a term of compassion. And he proceeds to inform them that he was leaving them. And Peter's attention is aroused. And he asks a question which is my text tonight. Whither goest thou? Whither goest thou? Verse 36. I want you to note first of all the concern. It is the impulsive Peter who suddenly takes note of what the Savior has been saying. Oh, in other occasions as I've already referenced, they were to hear these warnings. They were to hear these sayings. And on other occasions we find Peter is a spokesman. No doubt he's expressing what his fellow disciples were thinking. His question is steep with concern. His concern was over his departure. The Lord had often warned his disciples he was going to die. He was spoken to them many times about his death, but it never seemed to fully register with them. You know, Luke tells us that while he was transfigured along with Moses and Elijah, that the conversation on the mount was about his, his death. We read in Luke chapter 9 and verse 31, who appeared in glory, that is Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. They spake of his departure, of his death. Peter, James, and John were also in the company that day. How little they comprehended what it would mean for the Savior to be taken prisoner. 
and to be crucified and to die. And now in this upper room, the words of his imminent departure, they hit home as he speaks of it in verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come now, so now I say to you. Their perception was he would be around for a long time to come. But you know how often our perceptions are so wrong. The Savior clearly told them that he would be present with them just for a little longer. And then he would depart. And whether he went, they could not come. How concerning that was to Peter. How concerning that was to the rest of his disciples. That their hearing of their loved one, their blessed Redeemer and Savior, is now going to leave and he's going to depart. And how concerning that same thought is for the child of God tonight, who has unsaved friends and family and neighbors. For their death will not only mean their departure from this world, but they do so having no assurance that you will be following them. Whether the saved goes, the unsaved cannot come. The departure of the child of God is out into the glories of God's heaven and to the immediate presence of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. But nothing that defileth shall ever enter in there. And therefore the unsaved and the unpardoned soul will not be able to follow. Do you understand that? The concern of Peter revealed his desire. The desire that he expressed was that he might be with the Lord. He didn't want the Lord to go somewhere and he couldn't come. He desired to be in the Savior's abiding presence. Look at verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. If it meant death for Peter, then Peter thought that he was even prepared for that. Oh, he had left family, he had left friends, he had left fortune behind that he might follow the the Savior as a disciple and he was willing to lay down his life if need be so that his desire would be realized. How little, of course, Peter knew his own heart. For within a very short few hours, he would be snared by the accusation of a little uh, maid who was standing beside him around the fire as he warmed himself. And what happened was he denied his Lord and his Savior with oaths and curses. Just as the Lord prophesied in the last verse that we read tonight in this chapter. You see, men and women, the Lord knows our hearts better than we know ourselves. And he knows your heart tonight. And I wonder when he looks upon our hearts, dear child of God, does he see a quiet yearning and desire to be with Christ? That is not only the desire of Peter and the disciples, it ought to be the desire of everyone who is born again of God's Spirit. There's a living loose to this world. There's a desire to be with Christ. You remember how uh, the Apostle Paul expressed that himself in Philippians chapter 1. Verse 23 and 24, he simply says this, For I am a twixt between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. That's my desire, he says. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He had a quiet yearning to be with the Lord. And he also brings it out in Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. 
Because there, again, the same thought is, is foretold. It says, and not only they... Let me read 22 to you. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. He's saying the old creation, the very creation groans, it creaks, it's waiting for the Lord's return. And so are we, he says. So are we. And we are waiting for that time in which we'll know the redemption, not only of our soul, but the redemption of our bodies. But like the husband man, we wait with patience until that day the Lord comes or calls. Dear child of God, if this is your desire, and it should be for the hereafter, and it must also be our desire while we're dwelling on this earth. The best frame of mind we can be in is to be ready to go and willing to stay. Ready to go, but willing to stay. This concern expressed by Peter was in the delay. The words of the Lord in verse 33 were what he had said to the Jews on another occasion. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. You look at John chapter 7. Just turn back, verse 34. And there you have it. In fact, verse 33 he brings out the same words. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and whither I am, thither ye cannot come. Ye cannot come. Little word ye is very emphatic. They couldn't follow him. There was no hope held out to them because they were unrepentant. There was a great gulf fixed between that could not be bridged unless and until the grace of God worked us savingly upon their hearts and the veil was lifted from off their eyes. That day is yet to come. But men and women, I wonder when we read our verse tonight, did you notice a little difference? There's a very subtle difference when he spake these words to his disciples. And it's a little word now. Jesus answered him, Whither I go, yet thou canst not follow me now. Verse 36. That denotes a delay. Peter, you can't follow me now. Implying that there will be that time after a delay in which you will be able to. With the Jews, that word now is omitted. With Peter and this little flock of disciples, it's included. I wonder which is it for you. Have you the assurance that one day you will follow on? 
or instead is all hope removed because you're still a stranger to God and his grace, procrastinating in his great offer of mercy and rejecting the only hope of for your soul. I ask the question of my text, whither goest thou? For to this preacher and to many others, it's a concern. But you'll also notice here the cross. The Savior speaking about the way he would take, which would bring him to the cross. He answered Peter, in verse 36, my text, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. From the moment that Judas left the company of Christ and his disciples, we see that the cross is his theme. For understand that the cross of Calvary was planned out from eternity past. That was the very reason why Christ came to this earth. It was that he might fulfill the Father's will. And that meant them going to the cross of Calvary, to that place of ignominy, to that place of shame. That's why Christ is spoken of as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Calvary was never in the mind of God. It was never an afterthought. It was never a plan B. It was always in God's mind. Even before he spake this world into being. And that plan meant that his only begotten son would lay down his life and have the power to take it up again. You see, it is from the foundation of the world that he chose his people in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and the words of verse 4, it simply says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now he's speaking, he's writing to the church there in Ephesus. And he's reminding the people of God. God has chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world. It's then, it's then, men and women, that the names of all his people, all of God's redeemed, were indelibly written in the Lamb's book of life. It's back then in eternity past. The cross was no afterthought. For God promised back in the Garden of Eden that the seed of a woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And so the hour was now come when Christ would go by the way of the cross and he would fulfill that which was agreed amongst and planned amongst the Godhead from eternity past. And you know, come a little few chapters forward and isn't that what Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost? The same very disciple who asked the question, whether goest thou? For he stands up in Jerusalem in the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. He's preaching. He says, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Him being delivered by the foreknowledge, the knowledge of God in eternity past, ye have taken and crucified Him. You have nailed Him to that tree. 
But I want you to consider that the purpose of the cross is found here when we're brought to think upon these words that the Lord immediately says when Judas left. Look at the words of verse 31. He says, Therefore when he has gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. The purpose of the cross was to glorify Christ and to glorify the Father. The disciples were to learn that however painful the cross might be to them, it was both glorifying to Christ and it was glorifying to God the Father. That was something when the disciples looked at the cross from afar off, they could scarcely have understood it. Hanging on that yonder tree between two thieves in all nakedness and humiliation, there was to the human mind little evidence of glory. But yet how true was the saying of the Lord. It brought glory to God the Father, for it showed him wise and providing a great plan of redemption for lost and sinful mankind, whereby he would be just. And still the justifier of them that believe in Jesus. It showed him to be faithful in keeping his promise that he made back in the Garden of Eden of that seed of the woman bruising the serpent's head. It showed him to be holy in requiring the demands of his holy law to be satisfied by Christ, the sinner's substitute. And didn't it show him to be loving in that he gave Christ as the only mediator, as the only redeemer for such a sinful, undeserving people? That's why Christ could say to Peter, Thou canst not follow me now, Peter. For there's only one Savior. There's only one Redeemer. There's only one who would trod the winepress of God's wrath alone, for there's no other good enough. To pay the price of sin, he only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. He would be forsaken by God and by men in fulfilling his purpose on earth. For Christ came into this world to save sinners. Praise his name. And in the cross, the Savior was also glorified. It glorified his compassion and his love for his own when he suffered, bled, and died for us, allowing himself to become sin who knew no sin, allowing himself to be the curse. For cursed is every one that hangeth on the tree. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. It showed him to be patient and that he didn't die the death of any ordinary man but instead willingly submitted himself to the agonies and the tortures of the cross when he could have called legions of angels to carry him away from it and set him free. It showed him as the all-powerful Savior in bearing the weight and the punishment for all the sins of all who would ever call upon him in his own body and in conquering the devil himself. Tell me, does that not glorify the Father? Does it not glorify the Son who wrought out this great plan and purpose? And in the cross we, we note the purchase. For Christ submitted himself to it so that he might Purchase redemption for his people. In laying down his life, he was to give his own life's blood as the price of the sinner's redemption. 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. He died so that his people might be set free from the bondage of the devil and from their sin and be redeemed unto himself. He threw open the gates of the prison house and the invitation goes out tonight in the gospel. Come unto me all yet labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And men and women, when the Lord redeems, he redeems you out of the prison house of sin forever, not to go back in again. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul could say, as he does in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Have nothing to glory in but the cross of Jesus Christ. What think ye of the cross tonight? Can I ask, whither goest thou? If it is to God's heaven, then you must come by the way of the cross, accepting what Christ has accomplished for an old sinner just like you and I. But if you will go to God's hell, then the cross stands as an obstacle in your, in your sight. And on your road, it reminds me of a, a little illustration of a young man in one of the major cities. And he was looking for a nightclub, and the nightclub happened to be called the Gates of Hell. And he came across a policeman. He says, sir, could you direct me to the Gates of Hell? And that policeman knew what he was talking about. And that policeman was a saved man. And he said to the young man without saying anything else, he said, if you want to go to the gates of hell, you've got to go on down that road. You're not too far away from it. And you go past Calvary and you'll be at it. Calvary happened to be a little Baptist church on the corner. You've got to go past Calvary if you go to the gates of hell because Calvary stands as a blockage, as an obstacle on your road tonight. And I simply ask whether goest thou. There's one final thought and that is a certain day. Because when we again look at our text, we see an absolute certainty that Christ spoke to Peter about Verse 36, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. The certainty is promised. The Lord uses words which impart a promise to Peter, and by implication, of course, to every believer, to every child of God, which are represented by the remaining disciples in that upper room. Here's a little church. The body of God redeemed. Judas was never saved in the first place, but he's already gone. He said to them, Thou shalt. It wasn't now that Peter could follow. The Lord had to go to Calvary as the captain of our salvation first. He had to go before his people so that he might in due time be enabled to follow on. Dear loved one, there is one certain day and that is that we're all going the way of the earth. Hebrews 9 reminds us that it is appointed unto men once to die. 
And the day and the hour of our death, the Lord knows. And the promise for the child of God, redeemed by precious blood, is from the Lord. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. Even when the Jordan rolls its chilly waters at our feet, for the child of God, the Lord will be there to see us safely over. Tell me, do you have the certainty of this promise? Or like as a man asked me this week in the past, just a few days ago, are you afraid of, of dying? Does death hold a fear with you because you're heading out into that great unknown and you haven't got the Savior? The certainty has to do with paradise, you see. The Lord promised Peter and the others that thou shalt follow me. The Lord was going to the cross. Then after his ascension, back even to the glory he had with the Father in heaven. He was the first fruits. Go into that land that is further than day. First Corinthians 15. I'll just read verse 22 and 23 to you. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterward they that are Christ at his coming. The firstfruits brings you back into the Old Testament. And that uh, sheaf of corn was the first fruit that from was taken from the harvest and it was waved before the Lord. That sheaf of corn or wheat was a guarantee there was more to follow. And Christ is the first fruit. He has gone before that every one of his people will one day follow on. You'll see how his discourse here continues even to speak about heaven. You forget about for a moment the chapter division. You forget about where it says chapter 14 and just read on. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me in my Father's house are many mansions. He's speaking about glory. He's speaking about paradise. He was going before opening up the way <coughs> so that all who trust in him to the saving of their souls might follow on. And just as sure as that dying thief who repented was to hear, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, then so the certainty of heaven was also for his disciples and for all his sheep. Christ, by his atoning work, has purchased heaven. He's regained paradise that was lost due to Adam's fall. Heaven is assured for every blood-bought child of God, just as sure as if you're already there. Are you certain? Are you certain that you're going to heaven? If you are to be one day there, then heaven first must be in your heart now, because where Christ is, tis heaven there. But I want you to note in closing that the certainty was particular. I trust that you haven't missed it. I've already repeated this. But I trust that you don't miss it. Judas was no longer in their company. Judas had gone out to do his work of darkness. When Christ spoke the words of my text, he was speaking to his church. He was addressing those who were genuinely saved and following him. 
the message as well as the message of heaven, the message about the Holy Spirit and the, the chapters following 14, 15, 16 of John's gospel that is to follow, that's not for everyone. There's only comfort in it, particularly for those that are saved, those that have known their sins washed in the Savior's blood by faith, those that have received Christ. But you know the good news is that we're still in the day of God's grace. And you can have this certainty. And you can know by experience what it is to be cleansed. What it is to be forgiven from all your sins. What it is to be pardoned by the Savior's precious blood. What it is to be part of Christ's flock. I wonder will you come in repentance and faith this evening. I wonder will you start for heaven and for home. Assured that one day you will be with Christ. And that you shall be like him. For when we shall see him. We shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Whither goest thou? Where are you going? May God give you the grace to start for heaven tonight. If you haven't already done so. And settle your eternal destiny here and now. For his glory's sake. For he's still able to save to the uttermost. All that come on to God by him. Remember my text. Whither goest thou? The Lord bless his word even to our hearts tonight. For his own namesake. Let's sing in closing. 599. Our loved ones in glory. Those dear forms you often miss. When you close your earthly story. Will you join them in their bliss? A solemn hymn. Just watch the words of it. Maybe we'll sing verses 1 and 2, 4 and 5. 1, 2, 4 and 5. You'll find it on page 418. Let's just stand as we sing it, please.
There's those that are concerned of heart and soul tonight. I'm here for you. I'll gladly open the scriptures, point you to the Savior. But oh, settle it now. Settle it ere you leave this house tonight. And the circle might not be broken. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the solemnity of the text. We thank the Lord for its challenge, whither goest thou? And oh, we pray that thou might, Lord, apply the word to each and every heart tonight. Bless, Lord, uh, those that are yet unsaved, those out of Christ. Lord, we pray that they might, O oh God, pull down the puny arms of rebellion, and they might, Lord, by faith, come to the foot of the old rugged cross. Will this circle be unbroken? O oh God, we pray that thou would even impart that great truth on many a heart tonight, that, Lord, we would see our loved ones, our neighbors, our townspeople, one for the Savior, and safely gathered in. Part us now with thy blessing for those that will uh, even go bless the little time of prayer remaining. O God, do every soul good and accept of our thanks for your presence with us in the house of God today. We ask these things in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen.